Kafka is a distributed stream processing system that is commonly used for storing large volumes of append-only event data. Kafka has been open source for almost a decade, and as the project has matured, it has been used for new kinds of applications. Kafka's PubSub interface for writing and reading topics is not ideal for all applications that try to use Kafka, and this has led to the creation of KSQL DB, a database system built by Confluent for streaming applications that uses Kafka as the underlying infrastructure for storing data. Michael Drogalis is a principal product manager at Confluent, where he helped develop KSQL DB, and he joins the show to discuss KSQL DB, the architecture, the query semantics, and the applications that might want a database that focuses on streams. It's an interesting subject in database architecture because using Kafka as a database backing system is a novel idea. We've done many shows on Kafka in the past. You can find all those shows on softwaredaily.com. If you're interested in writing about Kafka, we also have a new writing feature. If you're wanting to learn about Kafka while you write about it, it might be a good fit for you. You can check it out by going to softwaredaily.com slash write. Michael Dragalis, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Today we're talking about Kafka and KSQL DB. And I'd like to just start off by disambiguating Kafka from a database. How does Kafka differ from a database? Yeah, so Kafka really gives you kind of a foundational element in building distributed systems, which is a fully ordered commit log. So it's often the case in many pieces of infrastructure, one of which is databases, that you need to have an ordered set of messages in order to construct some state or to do broadcast or publish subscribe kind of semantics. And Kafka really sort of gives you that building block for building higher level pieces of functionality on top of it, and as well as outright applications. Let's talk about the query semantics briefly, the write and read semantics. Can you describe what happens in a write and a read to Kafka? So the idea is with Kafka that you have producers and consumers and you're sort of exchanging messages between. And Kafka is kind of asynchronous all the way through. So as a producer has a message that it wants to broadcast to the outside world, what it basically does is puts that event and payload onto a topic in Kafka. And that kind of can be asynchronously consumed from other consumers as far as reads. And so you have Kafka, which is the fully ordered commit log, and it's immutable. You can have many consumers who are reading from it, and they can consume messages at any point in time. And it's non-destructive, so to speak. And so reads are immutable in that you can sort of come back and read some today. You can read more tomorrow. And just because you read it doesn't mean other consumers can't read it. And so you have this pretty strong decoupling between producers and consumers. Do users try to treat Kafka like a database? Perhaps in some sense, because it does give you that fundamental building block. I think the thing that you see a lot of is people using Kafka to sort of store their base events. And what they're doing is that they're kind of building their own database on top of it on occasion where they're materializing views in their applications. And so you take these raw events and then you stream them into some process and you start to construct a piece of state on top of it. And that's sort of how it starts to feel like a database and that it gives you the ability to play events through and start to get into that model. And that's really the thing that KSQL DB tries to make easy is you, you have all these pieces, one of which is Kafka, another which is the responsibility to materialize all these things. It just tries to make it not so hard to juggle all of that. Before we get to talking about KSQL DB, I want to talk about 
how people have historically built data applications on top of Kafka. So developers are often creating materialized views on top of their Kafka data. So you might have all of these events that are streaming into Kafka that are defining changes that are occurring across an application. And the developer might create a materialized view that defines the state of the application that is the end result of all of those events occurring. Can you give an example of a materialized view that someone might create on top of their Kafka data? Yeah, I think you see this in a lot of different cases. The primary use case that people end up turning to materialized views for, you can imagine the situation, you work at a company that has the centralized database, it's maybe a relational database, and everything is built on top of it. So the website, the analytics, the reporting, the triggers for outside events, it's just sort of the central hub for everything. And people know that this doesn't scale. And so what they end up doing is that they capture changes to this database using any number of tools, and they'll forward them into something like Kafka. And so you have this ingress point set up to be able to fan out all of the inputs that you're getting to the database. And from there, the idea behind materialized views is that you can take some pressure off of the database and construct these different caches of data that are optimized for different read access patterns for different applications. And so this comes up in marketing and insurance and banking, kind of every vertical you can think of because everyone is similarly putting a lot of pressure on database. And this is sort of a release valve for you to be able to undo some of that pain. Another usage of Kafka is to continuously react to event streams that are being written to a topic. So if you have all these events that are being sequentially written, maybe you want to have an application that is responding to those events as they're coming in. How does a developer typically build the ability to listen to that event stream and react to it? There's a couple of different choices, and this is really the whole domain of stream processing. The fundamental problem is that you have a sequence of changes. Maybe they're in the correct order, maybe they're not in the correct order. You have late arriving or out-of-order data, and you really need to discern what you want to do with all that information. There's lots of rules engines out there that you can use to evaluate the data. You can use some heavier stream processing frameworks. You can just use Kafka's producers and consumers. But really, this is the domain of event-driven microservices, where you're ingesting all these events, and you're trying to make sense of them and figure out what there is to do next. So Kafka Streams actually is a pretty good framework for doing this. It allows you to use a pretty high-level DSL and kind of express your program as a data flow, where you have a directed acyclic graph, and you can do operations over it almost as if you're operating over collections of data. And so that's one way that people end up making sense of these events to do something good with them. There's a common pattern where you might want to continuously read from a topic and then aggregate data or enrich that data and then write it to another topic. So you want to transform an event stream and rewrite it. How is that pattern usually implemented in basic Kafka? If you're going to use just basic Kafka, the tool you really have available to you is producer and consumer. And this is a use case that is extremely pervasive. As you said, you have your data in Kafka. Turns out you need it in a slightly different way. Uh, maybe you want to aggregate it. Maybe you want to enrich it with some information from another topic. There's just sort of like a million different scenarios that this can play out. And I'd call this sort of in the domain of streaming ETL. So what you would do is if you're really just using the absolute basic tools is you would consume these events from a topic. You could do any amount of processing that you would like because you're sort of at liberty to do that in Java or Python or whatever language you're using the client from. And then you would put it back onto another topic with a producer. This is pretty hard to do in practice because you're on the hook for everything. You have to deal with batching and compression and retries. 
and threading and state. There's just a whole host of problems that stream processing frameworks try to solve for you. But that is really the guts of what's happening under the hood. It's a series of producers and consumers working together to move data from one topic to another and doing anything it needs to in between. A typical data application using Kafka might involve not just Kafka, but you have stream processing systems, you have databases, you have connectors. Why do you need all of these other pieces to build a data application with Kafka? The end-to-end picture does end up being a little complex today. You know, in the real world, you have some data emanating from upstream systems. And so the first problem that you're faced with is, well, how do I do anything with it? And so this is kind of distributed system number one. I have some suite of connectors or agents that are harvesting this information out of my upstream systems. That might be a relational database, that might be another queue, that that could be anything. And so that's really the first piece is, how do I get any of the information? And so connectors enter the picture very quickly. The second is, where do I put them? Once I have these events, how do I, I have this asynchronous behavior that I mentioned before where I can consume them at any point that I want? And that's the problem that Kafka solves, event storage. Where do I put them? I dump them all in the Kafka. And so now I'm up to two distributed systems both very necessary for solving my problem, but the number keeps going up. And then, so as you mentioned, the third piece is stream processing. I maybe have some information in a topic. I want it to look a different way. I maybe I want to trigger something in the outside world. Any number of actions might need to take place. And so stream processing systems are typically built in a clustered manner because you want to add more capacity and get more processing power back. And so that's the third distributed system. And finally, we often see that these workloads end up terminating into a database so that applications can query the process state. And so if you look at this, you actually do need all three or four or five of these distributed systems because they're playing an essential part. The problem, in my view, is that putting them all together is actually quite a complicated endeavor. We've discussed these data application patterns for how people use Kafka to build applications. And Kafka's been around at this point for what, like a decade? Has it been 10 years? Yeah, I think it's been maybe 13 years now total. 15 years. Okay, so today you have a pretty good idea of how people want to use Kafka. And this has led to the development of a newer abstraction that you've built on top of Kafka called KSQL DB. Explain what KSQL DB is. It helps to sort of understand the problem that we were trying to solve before you get to the solution. And so if you think about what's happening in the present day, more than at any other point in history, people kind of demand immediacy in every aspect of their lives. You you have a phone and you can summon a ride from anywhere to anywhere. And as you exit the car, you have a receipt before your foot even hits the pavement. And it sort of creates this experience that a whole company is all hands on deck just for you. And so at Confluent, we actually believe that the world is moving in this way. This is the thing people want, and the pressure is on for companies to transition to this self-service sort of model that they can transact with their customers in a pre-scalable way. And so we think that the answer to this is events and stream processing. This is really what allows you to actually create those kinds of experiences. And so the problem is, how do you actually do them in a way that it's not extremely expensive and extremely painful? You go through the challenge of gluing together all those distributed systems that I just mentioned, And so KSQL DB is an event streaming database for building stream processing applications. We wanted to marry up the power of stream processing with the familiarity of relational databases. And we think that it really reduces the number of moving parts while it does not actually dilute any of the power that you wanted to have by turning to events and stream processing. A database is usually built on top of a file system. 
So the database gives you this abstraction for querying and interacting with information that is easier than just like a file system. You have a SQL language or some other query language on top of it. And the analogy to KSQL DB is that it looks at Kafka as a file system for events, and it gives a better abstraction for querying the Kafka cluster. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate summary. And it's the same way, as you said, with databases. Like you had a file system, and then the database came and gave you a better abstraction on top of those bytes. And similarly with Kafka, the way that you do things in event at a time, and you can think of that as the file system for events. And so KSQL DB gives you this high level abstraction for producing events and consuming them and processing them and querying them. And we think that this is a pretty natural fit for the event streaming world. How do the query semantics of KSQL DB differ from how I would be reading and writing to Kafka? There's a couple of different queries in KSQL DB, and you sort of have to take them apart to discuss them one at a time. So the main thing that people think about when you talk about queries with stream processing is these persistent queries. You sort of express this high-level construct to say, this is the information that I'm interested in. You can do that through a select and with a number of transforms or aggregations. And that's sort of permanently installed. And KSQL DB will process that for you off of all of your Kafka data. And so this is sort of a newer addition to SQL, the idea that you can create these more permanent processing stages. And then there's two other types of queries that KSQL DB gives you. It gives you push and pull queries. Pull queries are pretty akin to what you'd see in a regular database. You issue a query, it goes and looks up the information you're interested in, and it returns to you. From the perspective of your application, you're pulling the answer to you. And the second are push queries, where you sort of express a query and you subscribe to the changes over time. And this is one of the fundamental building blocks to building these real-time applications. You can actually build all of these things on top of Kafka yourself. These persistent queries can be expressed as programs with producers and consumers, and it has all the challenges that I mentioned before. You can materialize state inside of these programs and effectively do what are pull queries. You have to solve things like query routing and high availability of that state, but it is possible. Uh, and then the final thing is push queries, which is actually subscribing to changes to these result sets. And that's an even harder problem to solve. And so what this is really doing is it's packaging up all the common usage patterns that people have over Kafka, making it really easy to do with a simple SQL syntax. Describe the architecture of KSQL DB. There's a couple of pieces inside of KSQL DB's architecture, but at a high level, you sort of have a cluster of servers which are doing the processing, and then you have Kafka, which is serving as storage. When you submit a persistent query to KSQL DB and you tell it, I'm interested in some data, can you process this for me? KSQL DB will actually compile that into a Kafka Streams topology directly on its server. And so all of the processing is happening locally in a cluster away from your Kafka brokers. And when that topology starts, it will read data out of those Kafka topics over the network. And so it will transmit all that data, do much of its processing locally. And if it needs to, it will actually sort of do these bridge or these repartition topics to shuffle data around over the network. And so it will eventually emit data back out to Kafka for further consumption. The interesting part of KSQL DB's architecture is how it implements fault tolerance. You're materializing these tables of state, and it is a distributed system. So a pretty common question is, what happens if one of the servers tips over and you don't have access to that state anymore? The fundamental piece to KSQL DB's architecture is that it persists state in two different ways. When you have these tables of state, they are persisted locally on the disks of servers through RocksDB, 
And that's actually what allows us to have pretty performant pull queries. You can just look up the answer, we go into RocksDB, we dereference the right key and we come back. But RocksDB is a local key value store, as you might know. So if you lose the server, you lose RocksDB. And our answer to that is actually to persist all the changes that go into RocksDB in a Kafka topic. And the cool thing that that gives you is if you stand up another server, you can replay all those changes back into another RocksDB instance and be ready to go again. And so that's the way that KSQL DB separates compute from storage while giving you an elastic ability to scale your programs and also gives you fault tolerance. So it's worth clarifying here. KSQL DB is a database built around Kafka itself, right? So like you have Kafka and Kafka is running under the covers and KSQL DB is a SQL interface into querying materialized views that are built on top of the event data that's being appended to that Kafka queue. Is that correct? Yeah. And I might even go a little bit further in describing their separation. It may be one thing that you may set up Kafka as a complete implementation detail for KSQL DB. But the way that we sort of see people adopting this, and I think that this is the right approach, is that Kafka is a very prominent piece of a company's architecture. It's the storage hub for all your events, and it's where the streams live. And as you put more streams into it, it actually attracts more streams. And so it has this network effect where it's becoming a more powerful information hub for your company. And then KSQL DB is sort of off to the side, and it's using that as another consumer. Kafka is sort of indifferent as to what it is. It just knows that it's reading and writing information to it. And it really gives you the database interface to all of your Kafka data. And so that's the way that I like to break it down. So does KSQL DB replace the need for Kafka, or is it just a way of building applications that want a database like abstraction on top of your pre-existing Kafka queue? It's definitely the latter. I don't think you'd ever want to try to completely hide Kafka from your team or your organization doing this. It's just a way to have a database-like abstraction for you to build these applications while still leveraging all the power that Kafka gives you in different ways. So if people already have a bunch of event streams that are being written to their Kafka cluster. Are we using KSQL DB to define additional streams to be written to that cluster? Or are we just using KSQL DB to identify the streams that are already being written to Kafka and take those streams and build materialized views out of them? It ends up that it's actually both. And so you have lots of streams that are present at your organization. Lots of them are immediately useful. Maybe if you're at a retailer, you have a stream of customers and you have a stream of orders and shipments. Those are actually all usable from KSQL DB as is. And so it's able to work with existing topics. And then it's the case that you'll often want to create new streams and new topics and new tables off of existing things. And so what it allows you to do is sort of derive streams and derived views off of the information that you already have. And so it creates this chaining effect where you take something that was already valuable and allows you to create something that's even a little bit more valuable by doing this post-processing piece. So in KSQL DB, we can define these streams. Do they compare to a Kafka topic? Like if I make a stream in KSQL DB, how does that compare to me making a, a raw Kafka topic? Yeah, this is one of the first questions I actually had when I looked at KSQL myself a couple of years ago. A stream effectively is a topic with a couple of things reinforced. When you use a database, one of the things that we thought was really important is to have a strong schema. When you work with Kafka, a topic can have bytes anywhere. You have bytes in the key, bytes in the value, bytes in the header. You can sort of do whatever you want. And we thought that it was actually pretty important to have a stronger version of schema across these things. It allows you to do lots of optimizations. It allows you to do a lot of type checking and correctness. 
So lots of goodness that comes when you have schema as a first class thing. And so, yes, when you create a stream, what you're effectively doing is you're registering a set of types over an existing topic. And you're saying, this is the contract. This stream will have these sets of columns. They should have these types. If you read anything otherwise, it's not what it should be. And you should fail to deserialize that information because it's not what I was interested in. And so that actually allows you to build more leverage on top of your existing Kafka topics. And then the flip side is that when you create new streams, they're actually all well typed too, because you've sort of declared what their column types are. And so it's making sure that the program is cohesive all the way through. A table is a mutable collection of events that you can define in KSQL DB. Explain what the purpose of a table is. The value proposition is pretty similar to the idea of a table in a database. Streams are great. They represent immutable sequences of events, and that's incredibly useful for building lots of things on top of. But it is often the case that programs need to sort of take all the historical information that has happened and then compress it down into what's true as of now. And that's what tables are really good for. They allow you to have a series of rows that reflect the truth as of now. And so my favorite example is how you build an event-driven system for chess. You might record all of the moves in a series of chess notation, and that's a stream. You'd say, I move my pawn from this square to this square, or the bishop from this square to this square. Sorry, I don't know chess that well, so I can't make the example more specific. But those individual moves are actually very useful to record for a variety of reasons. But then you may have the question, what is the current state of the board? And so you can go through that sequence of chess notations and actually sort of like logically figure out, okay, if I move this piece here and this piece here, what's left? What's left on the board? A table is really a way to represent that as a first class object. So you can sort of just like pump a stream into a table and then ask questions about it. Like what pieces are in what square on the board and just tell me what's true as of right now. How does the table in KSQL get modeled? Is it in memory? Is it on disk? If I define a table in KSQL, so you know, as the example that you gave, like every chess game is technically a series of moves. You know, you go a pawn from one place to another, a bishop from one place to another, a king from one place to another. But at any given time, you have the state of the chessboard, which would be a materialized view over all those previous moves, the append-only sequence of moves. But if I want to represent that chessboard in a table, is it going to be in memory or on disk? How does it compare to how a SQL database is maintained? This is the interesting part of the architecture. When you declare a table, what you're effectively doing is provisioning an underlying RocksDB instance. And so that is actually sitting on the disk of the server. And so when you make updates to that table, all the updates that go into the table, we call that a change log. That's persisted in Kafka and that's kept around durably. The actual current state of the table is kept in RocksDB. And so you can query that for basically immediate access directly on the server. And so yeah, current state of the table kept on disk, and then the full change log is backed up into Kafka. Databases often have a caching layer that makes the tables available more rapidly. Does RocksDB satisfy that caching layer? Does it have a full database engine, including caching? RocksDB does have some pretty sophisticated caching features. I can't really comment on the ones that we use because I don't often go and look at that myself. We do add an interesting piece around this for high availability. You know, If you look at it pretty closely, you might notice that there's a problem in the architecture that I glossed over, where if the primary server goes down and you lose your RocksDB instance, how do you recover the current state of the table? Well, I said you actually just play the change log back into a new RocksDB instance on a new server. One of the problems with that is your availability will actually 
get pretty poor depending on how long that change log is. And so what we built in, really this is actually an artifact of Kafka Streams that KSQL DB is taking advantage of, is something called standby tasks, where when data is being committed to RocksDB on a primary server, there's actually a number of secondary servers that are following along on this change log and creating their own RocksDB instances. And so when there's a failure, you can actually just redirect to a secondary and do a very rapid failover because the RocksDB cache is just about up to date, if not nearly there. And I can also invoke stream processing within this database system, within KSQL DB. Give an example of when I would want to use stream processing within the system. Yeah, that's right. Materialized views are a really interesting use case, but it can even go back to something as simple as we mentioned earlier. Streaming ETL, which is just taking some data out of Kafka, changing it and putting it somewhere else is a form of stream processing. Any of these use cases around security and rules and triggering, that is all stream processing where you're ingesting this series of events and you're deciding what to do next. So that ends up being a pretty common use case as well. A user that's querying KSQL DB, they can use push or pull queries. Can you describe the two different types of queries and their usages? The problem that we often see when people are building these more modern applications is that there's this repeated pattern where maybe you load up the screen on like a browser or an app or even in a microservice you need to initialize your state. And the pattern that we see is that people will tend to pull the current state of the world. They're just interested in like what's true as of right now to initialize their local state. And the thing that's really needed beyond that point is to subscribe to all changes beyond that point. A concrete example is if you're building a ride-sharing app and you look at the map of cars moving around on the screen. When you load that app, what you need to do is figure out you know, well, what cars are in my area? That's kind of a pull query where you're just asking the server for what cars are here right now. Just tell me like their positions based on my current coordinates. And then what you're interested at that point on is subscribing to all the changes as these cars drive around. And so that's the nuance of a push and a pull query. It just ends up being that you need sort of both of these channels to create applications in a way that allows you to subscribe to information as it changes. And it makes it a heck of a lot easier to program against. What kinds of applications are easier to write with KSQL DB? When you compare the developer experience of using KSQL DB versus using just Kafka and streaming frameworks and databases, what becomes easier? Yeah, there's a couple of categories of applications that I think are really strong for KSQL DB. So at a technical level, we talked about streaming ETL. I think that's a really key thing. We've also talked about materialized views. And then there's this third and fourth piece, which is the event-driven microservice angle to sort of react to things that you're seeing in the world. And then we touched on this a little bit as well as this idea of our front-end application that's subscribing to information. And we see this play out across a lot of different domains. We've seen this in banking for people building caches over transactions for customers. We've seen this in SaaS applications for human resource software. We've seen it actually in ride hailing specifically. We've seen digital music providers trying to create an interchange between different APIs and stream processing is the way that you do that. We also see it in travel and tourism, you know, sort of reflect the latest state of services and products. And then you also see sort of the more classic use cases, which is like a real-time dashboard and maybe analytics. We've seen that in online marketplaces. Anomaly detection comes up as well. People have actually surprisingly used this quite a bit in monitoring mainframes, which I think is an interesting fusion between the new and the old. But you really do see it across a variety of vertical industries because this is a pretty pervasive building block for these systems. Tell me about the development of KSQL DB. When did Confluence start working on it? Confluence started working on KSQL, I want to say three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago at this point. I joined the company a little bit more than a year and a half ago. 
And the initial idea behind KSQL was that you know everyone's trying to do stream processing. Some of these APIs are actually pretty low level. You need to know a lot of details. Could you sort of level up things up a little bit and abstract away a lot of the details so that you can use just a simple SQL syntax for compiling to these stream processing programs. And that was the initial idea. And that went on for a while. I want to say like two years ago. That was pretty successful. We did realize at some point that there's sort of a bigger goal to go after. You can simplify the expression of the stream processing piece, but you haven't really solved the bigger problem that you have. And all these distributed systems, they have different mental models for securing and scaling and monitoring. The way that you configure Connect is different than the way that you configure Kafka from stream processing from your database to query. And the problem that's actually present is that you're trying to think in these n different ways every time you need to make a change. And it's very scary to work on. And so once we realized that that was a problem worth solving, we really went all in and trying to make that experience really great. And I'm quite happy with where we're at right now. So what was the thrust of going from just the idea of KSQL to this KSQL DB abstraction? Yeah, I mean, when you have all these moving parts, you kind of long for something a little bit simpler. I talk to a lot of people. I'm a big event-driven advocate. I think it's like a really good way to build software. But I do empathize with people who are like, man, things were a lot easier when I just had my web browser and my web tier in my database. It's my three-layer application. It was just so easy. And yes, some things are pretty bad about that, but it's actually just a lot easier to think about. And I understand that. Everyone who works in this project sort of gets the longing for that sort of simplicity again. And so what we wanted to approach was something more like Rails for stream processing. I don't know if you used Rails much, but I use that a lot in sort of my former life. I love building web applications and it was just so easy. And we think a similar abstraction is actually possible for stream processing, something that's just much simpler than people have had until recently. And we think the database is probably the right abstraction to be able to do that. It gives you SQL semantics over replicated durable tables of state that you can query over a network. So we think that the idea behind a database is actually pretty close to what we're trying to do. And what has been the hardest part of building KSQL DB? There are a lot of parts that you need to get right. I think because stream processing is still new, I mean new and that's it's been discussed for several decades, but people are sort of just really trying it in earnest in the last, I'd say, five or 10 years or so. It is sort of a trailblazing activity where you're figuring out what are the right semantics to do this in a deterministic way. What's the right expression model? You sort of need to figure out the whole user experience of how people build applications. And then on top of all of that, because we are trying to build a form of a database, we do have to think pretty hard about big concepts like consistency and availability and the guarantees that KSQL DB gives you. And so the problem, I think, for us is that the surface area is quite large. But the payoff, if we get this right, is actually pretty big because it solves a, a pretty huge problem, in my opinion. How has the adoption been? Do you have any case studies? I don't have anyone that I can reference publicly, but we have seen a pretty massive uptick in the people who have been interested in KSQL DB since we launched it. And I mentioned, you know, we see a lot of real-time dashboarding use cases. We'll have some interesting stuff around ride hailing coming out pretty soon. And then just a slew of the streaming ETL idea. There's just infinite combinations of people needing to change the data that they have in Kafka to power other downstream systems. And this idea where you can sort of work across the Kafka stack in a simpler way has been a pretty attractive thing for folks. So if we revisit the architecture, is the main addition to, when you think about the architecture of using Kafka together with KSQL, together with Kafka Streams, the main addition to the KSQL DB architecture is this RocksDB instance, right? Like this is where you're actually materializing your views and defining your database layer. Are there any other 
architectural components of KSQL DB as a whole that you could discuss? Yeah, I think when you look at it from a surface area, the mental model that we shoot for is just sort of everything in SQL. One mental model in SQL for stream processing. And so from the top level, what you really see is KSQL DB doing compute and Kafka doing storage. There is this element of RocksDB on the servers that's actually an artifact of Kafka streams. And I'd say that the two primary things that it gives you is a first-class query serving layer. So it's not just indexing your data, but also providing you the abstraction and routing and availability that you would want out of being able to query that data. And then also there's this other piece that we haven't mentioned yet, which is connector management. You do have this vast fleet of connectors for sourcing and syncing data around Kafka. KSQL DB actually allows you to run these connectors directly inside of its servers. And so this can eliminate an entire cluster for some people because you can simply declare the existence of a connector through SQL. And so it allows you to manage the capture of data, the processing, and the query serving all in SQL. And this rolls up to be actually a pretty tight user interface. What other kinds of abstractions need to be built to enable more easy access to stream processing development? I think the big thing, at least in KSQL's domain, is really completing the SQL syntax. SQL is battle-tested and rich, and the standard is actually a pretty wide spec. And I think the more of it that we add, actually, the better off everyone is. No one wants a less expressive programming language. I do think that one of the interesting pieces that we've been talking about for a while is complex event processing, where you can sort of express a rather sophisticated set of rules about what to look for, and then trigger based off of patterns. You can do this in maybe a more rudimentary way with the existing abstractions in SQL, but complex event processing really takes us to another level. I've been watching this domain for a couple of years now, and I haven't really seen it take off yet, but I do suspect that this is one of the things that when people make it simple enough, it's really going to unlock a lot of use cases. How does the Spark-centric version of the world compare to the Kafka-centric version of the world. And what I mean by that is I think there are different versions of data engineering where you can think of your data world as you dump all your data into a data lake, and then you pull your data into Spark and do the processing on Spark. And then you have this Kafka version of the world where you write all your data to you know a Kafka queue, and you have these small stream processing jobs that are pulling data off of Kafka and writing it back to Kafka. These are not totally disjoint worlds, but there are different patterns with the Spark-centric versus the Kafka-centric version of the world. Do you see a difference in architecture in those two models? I think that they actually play together quite well. So the way that Kafka looks at the world, as you said, is you know all the information is coming into these durable, persistent logs, and then you have stream processors around it. And I would actually include Spark as one of those stream processors. I do think trying to put Spark at the center of the world is probably a little hard because it doesn't really give you that shareability that Kafka gives you. I think this is played out in the Hadoop ecosystem where you have HDFS as sort of being the central place for all the files. And then you see lots of processors built on top of that, like Hive and Drill and Spark. And you see this again with S3 in the newer generation set of tools. S3 is the backplane for really all of AWS and lots of other ecosystems of tools. And you see the same set of processors forming around it. And we think that Kafka is actually the equivalent for this in the real-time world, where, again, Kafka is kind of like your file store for events. And it's pretty natural for lots of different processors to form around it. And so that's KSQL DB, that's Spark, that's lots of other things. I don't think you're going to sort of see like one tool dominate the outside perimeter of Kafka. I do think that's where you see a periphery of different tools 
each one doing the right job. And how do you see people using data warehouses with Kafka? What are the common data warehouse patterns that you're seeing? It's pretty frequent that we actually see people doing this streaming ETL pattern where they're mining data out of their primary databases. Uh, you can imagine that you have you know, MySQL or Postgres or another series of relational databases that are serving your online applications. And people will use a tool like Debezium to pick off their change logs. And then they'll route it through Kafka and they'll take advantage of KSQL DB as this buffer layer where they're sort of like reconstructing the streams based on an optimal pattern for these downstream warehouses. And so they'll use that as a place to maybe strip out PII or do some like pre-joining of information or drop information that's not relevant. And then they'll push that all with sync connectors out into Snowflake or Redshift. And that's a pretty common pattern that works quite well because it gives you a lot of flexibility at every step of the way. You're not overloading your primary database. You're using an intelligent way to access the change logs with Debezium. You are durably persisting those changes with Kafka so that anyone can use them. And then you're processing them in such a way that's optimal for your data warehouse before finally landing it into one of those products that I mentioned. So if I understood that correctly, you're starting with the OLTP database and you're writing change data from the OLTP database to Kafka, you're materializing views with KSQL DB in order to perform operations on those change logs, and then you're writing that data directly to the data warehouse, or you're performing more operations on it, you're changing the data more? The materialized view piece doesn't really take place during this kind of setup. What you'll often see are people doing simple transformations or joins or anything to sort of like reshape one stream and turn it into another. And so it's sort of the go between between your stream and Kafka and then the stream that you want to land in a data warehouse. And so it gives you the flexibility to change things just before they land in the data warehouse. I think the cool thing about the Kafka setup is that you can use that to power your data warehouse, but you can also use that to power any number of things. You can build lots of use cases on top of the data that you have in Kafka. Just because one processor reads it doesn't preclude another from doing it too. I see. So in that world, you're using just the streams interface in KSQL DB to just do stream transformations and then dumping the data, the end result into Snowflake or something. Yeah, that's right. It's very common to just want to take a stream and then produce another stream, not necessarily always a table. Remind me, why does that differ from how people historically used the Kafka Streams API? When you use Kafka Streams, I think it's a great tool, actually. Kafka Streams is a really neat project. And when it came out, I've been continually fascinated by it for years because it's such a simple model. But even at that level of simplicity, there are quite a number of things that you need to do. You need to go into the SDK. You need to be familiar with Java. You need to write the program to spec based on the API. You need to handle serialization each step of the way. So that's sort of how you build your app. And then you need to package it. And so you need to create a jar, maybe an Uber jar based on all the things that you have. You might want to containerize it. You deploy it into a cluster somewhere. And you have maybe like 100 other little things you need to deal with as part of running Java applications. And that's fine. Lots of people do that. It's actually like a pretty good solution if you're comfortable with that. I do think that there's like plenty of problems, maybe it's sort of like the 80%, where it would just be so much easier if you could issue a SQL statement. You have a pre-running set of KSQL DB servers, you take your SQL statement, and then you send it off to the server, and everything takes place downstream. That query is converted into a Kafka Streams topology internally. You don't see any of that. It's being processed on your behalf, and you don't have to worry about packaging, deployment, batching, serialization. All of that is actually centrally managed on KSQL DB on your behalf. I'd like to get your perspective for the data engineering ecosystem as a whole. What kinds of changes have you seen 
in the data engineering ecosystem in 2020 that stand out as being remarkably different from how things were last year? I do think that the popularity of Kafka has grown significantly. Kind of year over year, you see more people using it and it's playing a more central piece. I also see a pretty big proliferation of processors. And so this kind of kicked off in maybe 2013, maybe even a little bit earlier when Storm came out. Storm was really the only way to do real-time data processing at the time that was available to most people. And then Spark implemented its micro-batching API. I actually worked on a larger project called Onyx that did stream processing for Clojure. And it's kind of just grown since then. And so I do think you see these two parallel worlds building up where Kafka is becoming more and more commonplace as the center where the streams are. And then you have more processors surrounding it and trying to sort of find the right tool for the job. I do think this is the trend you see in data engineering right now. So what's the deployment model? If somebody wants to create a KSQL DB cluster or KSQL DB instance on top of their Kafka cluster, what does that deployment look like? It's effectively a series of Docker containers. You create one or more of these server containers, you point them to a centralized Kafka cluster, and then it takes advantage of Kafka's membership capabilities. And so it can actually manage the cluster, keep it all in sync, keep everything talking to each other. And I think that that's one of the cool capabilities of KSQL DB is that it's not all new. It's actually just built on top of Kafka Streams, which has been battle tested for four plus years now. And that actually itself is built on top of Kafka's clients, its producers and consumers, which have been, yeah, Kafka has been around since 2007 or so. And so it's sort of just like reusing the goodness all the way down. But as far as the deployment, it really is just a series of containers that are, are linking together through Kafka. All right, Michael. Well, it's been great talking to you about KSQL DB and Kafka patterns. Do you have anything else you want to add before we close off? Yeah, I think maybe it's just sort of like a word of encouragement. I've been following the adventure of an ecosystem for a pretty long time now, eight or nine years, and it's gotten continually easier and easier. I do think this is an area worth continuing to invest energy in as like individual developers. It's a really exciting place. I think you're going to see a lot of services switch to using stream processing soon. Many already have. And the more people who are working on this stuff, the better it gets. So the more the merrier. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. 